Uh, go ahead and turn your Bibles to First uh, Peter. We'll be looking in uh, chapter 3. You could also earmark in Ephesians 5. Um, I'm probably going to reference that, though I don't know if we'll turn there. Um, but I did want to note that I love that song. You know, my wife and I have been through, as many of you, have been through kind of a lot, especially the past couple of years, just kind of going through a lot. And when I sang that song, I, honestly, I, that was the first time I'd ever seen that or heard that song. I just sat there and listened to it while everybody else sang. And how amazing that is, that reckless love. So when I go through a trial, when I go through some kind of a hardship, and Jesus is asking things of me, I'll think about those words. You see, not just when we didn't know him and he came breaking down doors chasing after us, but I believe that to be one of the, one of the primary reasons why he brings us through trials, just to remind us there's not a wall he won't kick down and a mountain he won't climb to go and get to you when you are in that place, that, that most difficult of all circumstances. And I got to tell you, I've talked to so many people here, and I've lived through uh, many of them myself, and you guys have, have all come to encourage you know, me and Sarah and the boys. Um, but that's going to be like an anthem, that reckless love. So when you think about that, when Jesus is beginning to ask you for things and to do things that you don't want to do, you just remember there's not a wall he won't kick down and a mountain he won't climb to come and be with you, to pull you from a place where you're just completely destitute. You're just, you're so desperate you have nothing and he wants to give you everything. And it's culminated in himself. Okay? One of my favorite movies is uh, Apollo 13. I love that movie. It's, uh, it's based on real life events. And they reference one guy in there, and I found that this guy actually kind of has a testimony, at least part of it, that pertains here uh, to First Peter chapter 3. You know, we were joking uh, yesterday uh, at Meredith's birthday party, you know, of course I would get the, the section of scripture that is, you know, when, when, when Peter is talking to the wives and submitting to their husbands, and so God help me, right? Lord help me. But he's got a message for all of us tonight, right? He definitely does. Uh, but his name was Charlie Duke. He was on the backup team for, um, oh, now it's escaping me, um, Tom Hanks' character. Tom Hanks' character in Apollo 13. He was, Charlie Duke was on the backup team for him. Jim Lovell, that's right. So he was on the backup team for him. But Charlie Duke's part of his testimony has to do with he'd walked on the moon. He's one of a dozen guys to ever do it, to leave his footprints on the moon. He, he's reported as saying that he got bored after going through that. I mean, how do you recover from something like that? Like, if you walk on the moon, there's not a whole lot of things left to do, right? When you've walked on the moon, right? So he says, after walking on the moon, I was bored. Fame, fortune, a spot in the history books, I had it all. But if you'd been a fly on the wall in my home, you would have seen that I wasn't, that I wasn't so hot. I was failing miserably as a husband and father. Though I had gone to church all my life, I had all of God I needed in that one hour every Sunday morning. Even the moon had not been a spiritual experience. I wasn't looking for God. I only knew Jesus the way you know the U.S. presidents, in name only. My business succeeded and the money rolled in, but I was bored again. His wife's name is Dottie. But Dottie wasn't. She had changed. Her depression had lifted. And she demonstrated a new believing faith. It's an interesting way to put that. Believing faith. Right? It's like an action, right? And so she turned to God, not me, for answers to her problems. And then he goes on to say how he one night attended a Bible study and he fully gives his life to Christ and he finds that fulfillment. But it was, it was through watching his wife do it. It was through watching Dottie change. And I find it to be, uh, that stuck with me, that phrasing, that, that phrasing, believing faith. So I'm going to read the scripture and let's just go ahead and dive right in. Uh, but I want to ask you this question, okay? I've always said this, and I remember doing uh, I, uh, my second sermon that I did or something where I took the pulpit at the very end, and it's one thing to stand up here and to preach, right? To stand behind a pulpit and to be looking out at you guys. There's 40 people here, 50 people here, you're all looking at one guy, right? But if I turn the pulpit like this, suddenly you're behind the pulpit. So my question is, what Jesus do you preach? In your life, what Jesus do you preach? Because we may not think about it every day, but if you proclaim Christ, if you believe in Jesus, and you'll be at work and your coworkers will pick up on it, right? You'll talk about Sundays and 
<clears throat> Bible studies, and before you know it, you're the Christian guy in the office, right? So what Jesus do you preach? Every word and action you speak and do proclaims something. Either backs it up or it doesn't. It's one of the two. It's either a really good sermon or a really, really bad one, all right? And so what taste, if you want to put it that way, do you leave in other people's lives? Because your, your life as you live it proclaims something, okay? So let's go ahead and read the scriptures there in uh, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 1. I'll go through 7. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. I'm reading from NASB. Many of you are from the NIV. The verse 2 says, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. I believe the NIV translates that pure and reverent. Okay? Your adornment must not be merely external. That's going to be important. I think the NIV just simply says, your adornment must not be external. But the NIV kind of throws in that word merely. And we'll get to that in just a little bit here. Braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses. But let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Not going to go there. We won't be looking into that. And have become her children, if you do what is right, uh, without being frightened by any fear. You husbands, yes, fellas, we'll be addressing yesterday too. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. And that's going to be an interesting phrase that I'll, I'll, I will touch on that a little bit here this morning. Uh, the first thing I want to look at is is submit. Sometimes we can understand things, but then we don't actually practice them as, as we understand them. We practice them different. Um, to submit is an act of your will. You cannot be forced to submit. You can be forced to obey. I can make you do something, but you're not submitting in that. I'm simply forcing an action upon you. So submission, as we understand it here, is an act of your own will. You are going to subject yourself to someone else to Christ, wives, to your husbands, uh, and so on and so forth. So let's just kind of keep that right there. Another person's power or authority, you subject yourself to it. That is submission. If there's anything else in there, if there's any pull or resistance in there, you're not submitting. It's just plain not submission. You're being forced to obey, okay? So if you think that you're submitting and you grit your teeth and you sort of drag your feet into it, you are not submitting in the way that you need to right here. It's just not the same. The first thing that Peter says in this text is in the same way. It's the first time he actually says it in the book, right? Nowhere else before that does he say in the same way. So it's the first time that that comes up. And so we look at it and go, well, what's, what way is that? So you look back in chapter 2, and you have in there how we're submitting servants to their masters. But even before that, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, and on down act as free men. So when he says in the same way, we're looking at what Christ did there in chapter 2. If you follow me into chapter 2, um, in, in verse 21, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. Stepping even before that, it talks about this. Peter says, what credit is it for you if you submit to people that are good to you? There's like no value in it to submit to people that are good to you. You submit to someone who's harsh with you, or in the scriptures it says unreasonable, there's a credit that's there. And Christ gives us that example. Christ suffered to give an example. And I like that they put it that way, he suffered. Submitting is not always going to come easy. It's not always going to come without some kind of cost. You're going to go, this really stinks. This is, I don't, I don't really enjoy this, but you can still have that attitude and still have a submissive heart that says, but I want to end this not good thing. I still want to yield, yield to this person, right? Yield to this authority. 
because of what Christ did for me, because of the example that he gave for me. Another thing about submission that you may not realize is it's not an act. It's not a single act. It can be, but it's not really a single act. Submission, as it's laid out here, is actually a behavior. It is something you do every single day, and you do it constantly throughout the day. Because if you're submitting to Christ as a momentary act, then you could easily just step away from him, couldn't you? I choose to obey Christ here. I choose to submit to Christ here. But this person just upset me, so I'm going to step outside of that now. I'm no longer going to submit. I'm going to go back to my old flesh. The Bible's full of scriptures in there that say how, how detrimental that is to someone. So your behavior, your submission is actually a behavior. And it can be defined as a series of all of those actions, a series of all of those things that you do on a daily basis. Um, in Ephesians 5, uh, I think I will go ahead and actually uh, turn there. Paul lays out for us a hierarchy um, that, that exists. Did you know that Jesus is subject to the will of the Father? He's part of the Trinity, but he's subject to the will of the Father. So there's a hierarchy in the Trinity, in the Godhead itself. But then here, Paul actually says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle. So husbands also ought to love their wives as their own bodies. You have Christ, you have the husbands, you have the wives. This is important. Um, nowhere ever in Scripture, not in this passage, not in the uh, Peter passage, not anywhere else in Scripture, is it ever listed that women are inferior? Sometimes women can feel that way, and that makes it hard. I'm inferior to this, this man, my husband, who's telling me what to, what to do. See, we, we say these things. He, he's not telling you what to do. He shouldn't be telling you what to do. Um, and guys, you got to realize that your wife is your suitable helpmate. That's what the Bible calls her, suitable helpmate, which means she was meant for you and no one else that God actually fashioned her in his understanding of all things, she was the one for you. She was meant for no one else, and you were meant for no one else. Because of that, she is your suitable helpmate. If I don't listen to Sarah, from the knowledge that I have and the understanding I have, if I don't listen to her, we're going to get into this, that doesn't bode well for me. I no longer obey Christ. I'm no, I now break that chain, if you will, of, of authority and hierarchy that's that's existing there. So we can't look at this and suddenly realize, well, because it works like that, that somehow wives are lower down on this totem pole. Not in the least. If you're thinking that tonight or to this morning, then you need to change your, your attitude on that, especially the wives, because I'm gonna if it was me and I felt like that, I certainly would not want to submit. I certainly would not want to obey in that way. So you can't have that mentality that says, well, I'm somehow inferior. You're actually co-heirs. You're actually equal. Um, Peter talks about, um, back in chapter 3 of First uh, Peter, he talks about um, this issue where um, be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won over without a word by the behavior of their wives. There apparently was a problem. Now, Peter, First Peter was probably written somewhere like after 60 A.D. because he kind of draws from certain parts of Paul's writing. So this is pretty recent after Jesus ascended, after he died, rose, and ascended back into heaven. So it's pretty tight in there as far as a window is concerned. But there evidently was a problem where these people were married, and then they, they hear the message of the word. The women accept it. The men reject it. And so this is an issue that Peter is speaking to. So now he's speaking into a married couple, and he's saying, wives, stay together like Paul encourages them um, in, in 1 Corinthians 7, where, where Paul says, stay with them, because your behavior can win them over. So you're encouraged to stay in their relationship because not your words. They've already rejected the word. They've already heard that preached and have chosen not to believe it. So there's something about the behavior of a believer that can actually win someone over. I want to step back and I want to look back in chapter 2 and, and say, what about your boss? 
See, right here, the context is wives and husbands, but what about an employee to a boss or a slave to a master? How about a child to a parent? Sometimes parents can be harsh. With much chagrin, I tell you, there are times in which I've been that way with Micah. He's got a very strong personality, and I can be harsh with him sometimes. And I know that makes it hard for him to submit, for him to obey his father. There's a lot on my end on the authority scale that says I have to treat them with the respect that they're due as my children and Sarah as my wife. But this principle can be stepped back. It doesn't have to just be wives uh, and husbands, but it's any authority relationship, which is why Peter starts off by saying submit to the governing authorities. The only time in which you don't have to submit is when it, uh, when it contradicts the scriptures. And that's tricky. That really is tricky because for the most part, as bad as it can get, like in, in our governments, as bad as it can get at work, sometimes bosses can be harsh. You know, they can dictate that you do these things, you know, because they're your boss, because they're the boss. But for the most part, they are operating as the instituted leadership from God, from God the Father. There are some things in there, sometimes in your life, when you're actually commanded to not obey them, to not submit to them because you submit to you know, a higher calling. You submit to Christ ultimately. And that's what I want us to see is everything in between from when you got Christ, you have the husbands, you have the wives, and so on and so forth. Your behavior is never dictated as cause and effect. It doesn't matter what someone does to you in an authority, you still need to submit to them. Okay? Except in the case when it actually violates Scripture. If I came to Sarah and I said, Sarah, I don't want us to read the scriptures anymore. There's just no need for that. We have a Bible study on Wednesday. We have the sermon on Sunday. We're getting fed fine. Let's take that time and just spend it with the family, okay? I'm working a lot of hours, and so I want to make sure that we have time with the family. So you know what? Don't have your quiet time. We'll just get fed from the scripture. She is now not commanded to obey me at all or submit to me at all. She, over, she overrides that with the authority of Christ, Everything culminates in Christ, and that's going to be important. You know, it's one thing I've been learning this past couple of years is that everywhere I look, everything I need, everything I need to grow in, all culminates in the person of Jesus Christ. And it's like the, the littlest things, and, and almost, honestly, it feels like the silliest things. But, but for the most part, we need to obey them. It's not because like the way they speak to you, maybe they're harsh when they speak with you or they seem to be bearing down on you. You're commanded because by your behavior, something can trigger in them that can win them over. Isn't that the goal? So far, I'm just talking about our behavior within that relationship, that authoritative relationship, right? Boss to employee, you know, and husbands to wives. But... But when we step back, if I was to suddenly ask the question, well, aren't we here to see people get saved? Well, yeah. I'm a Christian. I want people to get saved. You know, be careful when you answer questions like that, when you ask them to yourself or when you answer them, because at some point you're going to get called to, to test that. You're going to get called to give an account for that. Because what if I told you in that relationship, in that most terrible relationship that's happening, by your submission not to the person, but to the authority. Does that make sense? Some husbands are terrible. Okay, I've never had husbands. Some husbands are pretty awful. Okay? And if I find out that you're one of them, you're going to get an earful from me. Okay? Um, but some husbands are terrible. And some bosses are even worse. Okay? But they still carry with them the authority. They have their own they have their own set of restrictions and things they need to do to obey Christ. And if they don't, a lot of heaviness comes down on them for that. But as the one who's being the, the submissive person, you're submitting to the authority and not the person. You have to separate the two sometimes. Tom is a mean jerk and treats his wife pretty terrible, but Tom is the husband. So if Tom wants to do this or he wants to do this, as long as it doesn't violate Scripture... Nancy has to go right along with him. She's compelled to do that, not from Tom, but from Christ to do that. But sometimes we get them crossed up. We look at the person 
and we're saying, wow, I have to submit to this person. But look at it more like how it's structured, because he is saying in that we can see people, the, 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 the worst kinds of people, can be won over by someone being, that, being like that. How many Roman guards gave their hearts? How many believed in God? How many were changed? Because Jesus never said a word. It says it right there. When reviled, he never reviled in return. And when they scorned him and mocked him, he didn't do it back. All the way up until when he dies on a cross. And one of them is, is recorded as sitting right there saying, surely he was the son of God. In that action, in that submissive behavior all the way through, think about his passion week. Think about all the people that turned away from him. One of his closest friends betraying him. Another one disowning him three times. Everything that he had gone through, but every step of the way, staying on focus and on point all the way up until when he gave his, his life on the cross. And people were changed by that. It took his life. It'll take your life. It'll take the way that you live your life to see that happen. And it may not, but that's not your problem. Please don't let that be your problem. Because you're going to get to a place where you're going to feel disappointed at the end of your life. And that person that you've tried so hard to win over isn't won over at your death. You don't know what happens after that. Well, technically you will because you'll be in heaven and be able to see it. But, but for the most part, at, at, your, at your deathbed, that person may not come to Christ. Do not be disappointed. Be victorious and be excited and be happy and, and content that you lived a life of submission that when this person looks back on your life, all they see is submission to Christ every step of the way. A part of that is going to be is going to involve obeying a husband or obeying a boss. So he evidently had that problem. Um, so wives, right? I've already gotten into this, but wives have an option. Why don't you just walk away? Terrible relationship. Why don't you quit your job? I'm not of that kind. I don't quit my job. I usually get fired. But hey, that's that's the Lord's plan for my life, I guess. You know what I mean? That's happened to me twice. Um, but uh, I don't tend to give up things really easily. But women could. You can step away. You can say, that's just going to be too much. I'm going to walk away. But then you have Paul. And he's encouraging you. He's commanding you. saying, look, you're, you're together for a reason. There's only one out. And that's when the, when the person wants to leave. When the other person does not want to be there, that's your only out. With the exception. If this is an abusive relationship, get. You are no longer commanded to stay there. I need to make that clear right on the outset when it comes to wives and husbands. If it's an abusive relationship, get. God is clearly telling you, go. And he will deal with that man in his own way. And God help him. You know what I mean? Because it's, it's not going to be okay. Peter goes on to say, your adornment must not be merely external. I understand this to be in that time, um, and even today, let's be honest, because not a whole lot has changed in people since 2,000 years ago, since the garden, really. You know, people are simply people. I'm the same as Adam, as I stand here today. I carry with me the same genetic defect, and women, you're just like Eve. You know, you're the same kind of people. So back then, and even today, there was this issue where women were going above and beyond to adorn themselves. They would braid their hair and they would like curl it up in, a, in a, some kind of a fashion to sort of make a crown for their head. Then they would take real gold and they'd stick it in there. It's like it was a gold crown. I get this picture of like a peacock that's fluffed up its back feathers. You know, talking about walking around going like, I'm, I'm that, that one. You want me? Check out my tail feathers. You know what I mean? And so they've adorned themselves. And Peter says, Peter says it can't be like that. It's not a prohibition. He's not saying don't do it. He's just, he's just saying that's not where true beauty is found. It can never be found through that. So look, it, I'm not standing up here saying don't wear makeup or, or anything like that. That's not what I'm up here saying. I'm up here saying if you find your beauty in that, you've missed it. There's a big part of your life that you're missing. All right? If you were to walk out and you were to be all natural, going to something and you haven't put a lick of makeup on, would you look at yourself and say that you're not beautiful? Would you say that to Jesus, the one who created you? God, I'm not beautiful. Because what you're really saying is he didn't make you beautiful. He made you potentially beautiful. 
when you go and you get the makeup and the latest whatever and you adorn yourself and you do all these things. Young ladies, teenage girls, hear my words, okay? There's going to be a temptation that comes in your life when you want to puff up those tail feathers, all right? And you want some guy to recognize you and notice you, okay? He'll notice you. You don't have to go all above and beyond, okay? He'll notice you just fine. Don't get caught up in that trap that says, I need those things to be beautiful. So I ask you again, if you don't have it, if you don't have it put on, if you don't have the makeup and the lipstick and all of that, guys, if you don't have the right cut of your shirt, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm finding as I get older and older, I never thought it would happen, but I'm taking the shape of my father. You know what I mean? If anybody had seen my dad, you would understand that, and that would be a funny, funny joke for you. I look in the mirror sometimes, and I go, it's my dad. <laughs> Why is he in my mirror? You know what I mean? I am taking the shape of my father. And that's going to happen. That's okay. That's, that's whatever. You know? But I don't, find, I don't find my sense of value or, or looks or beauty or anything like that in anything else. I don't, I don't need those things to be, I don't need to be gaudy or anything out there. And so Peter is addressing it. And what does he say? He says, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. Quite the opposite. Let your adornment be in here. Your heart that's just yielded to Christ. And, and, and the husbands are going to see that when you're, when you're not out there you know, trying too hard you know, to, to, to force them, when you're not trying to force a boss. There's a time and a place, certainly, for sharing the gospel. There's, there's a time and a place for being forceful, you know, when the kingdom is advancing. But here Peter is actually saying it without a word. See, the person who's won over, the husband that's won over, without a word, by the behavior. So it's really how you act. It's really this this string of, of just, you know, acts that are strung together that could constitute your behavior, much of which is learned. So much of your behavior is learned. For example, if I come over here and I stomp my feet and I get all angry, that's a behavior, right? And I stomp my feet and a pizza shows up. Now I want pizza, so I come over here and I stomp my feet and that pizza shows up again. I've learned now that behavior Every time I stomp my feet, the pizza will show up. And so I'm going to continue to do it until time number 16, the pizza doesn't show up. Somebody broke that, that, that pattern, and that's not going to be okay. So I'm going to keep stomping my feet, and I'm going to get worse about it, and I'm going to start kicking, and I'm going to start screaming, and all of a sudden I've got this really, really bad attitude. But so much of your behavior is learned. That's why it's tricky because sometimes God says no. Sometimes he just says no. You know how hard I prayed for Josiah? You know how hard I prayed for him? I mean to tell you, I wrestled. And I had a hold of the, of the Lord, much like Jacob did. And I was not letting go. And I prayed for him hard as, as we're going through that. But God didn't want that. He said no. He wanted him. But who am I? He was his to start with. You know what I mean? I got a real fun part of the deal, you know what I mean? But uh, it was him. It started with him, and so he wanted him back. But I prayed so hard, so, so hard. For those of you who don't know who Josiah is, you can talk to probably like 90% of the church here, and they'll be happy to fill you in. You can come talk to me, um, you know. But I prayed so hard for him, but God wanted him. But I never, I never let it shake my faith in Christ. I never let it shake the fact that I believe that. As young people, maybe new Christians, teenagers, there are some teenagers that have walked with the Lord longer than I have. You know, they just have. You guys were growing up in Christian homes. You gave your hearts to Christ when you were younger. I gave my heart to Christ when I was 21. I mean, so I still have more of my life in the world than I do in the kingdom, you know. Um, but I will tell you this and what I've learned in my time walking with the Lord is you can say it all you want. And when somebody asks you a question in a Bible study, it makes you look, you know, so spiritual and so holy. And you, you say the things, you're like, yeah, I believe in Christ and he's everything and he's going to come through and then all this. And, and he loves me. 
but will come a time in your life, sometimes a lot of times in your life, when you're going to be called to give account for that through your actions, through a particular set of circumstances, this right here is what the world sees. This is what the husband who does not believe sees. How is she still loving Christ? How is she still submitted to me? Trust me. I would have to say nine times out of ten, this guy knows. He knows what kind of a jerk he is. He knows what kind of a deplorable person he is. The boss knows what kind of a, a mean cuss that he is. You know what I mean? But sees you honoring Christ in that, and they just can't seem to figure out why. Can't seem to figure out how. And something happens in them over time to where they finally just get to a place where it's like, the way that you love Jesus through all of that, the way that you hung on to him through all of that, just changes you. It just simply changes a person. He reminds women through their adornment, you're no longer in the world. You are now in the kingdom. In the kingdom, things are different. They're upside down in many cases, but it's different. First question you need to ask is, what's attractive to God? and then to a godly man. Paul says, do not be unequally yoked. You need to find someone who believes as you do. You need to find somebody who's on that same page as you, loves Jesus in the same way that you do. Don't go looking for any other thing. Okay, don't look for anything else. You walk out of the house, are you beautiful to Christ? Because the answer to that question should always be a resounding yes. If it's not, if it's a no, see right there, you got a break. You got a break in your relationship with Christ, and before anything else in this world has to, has to happen, you got to fix that. That if you walk out of your house or out of your bedroom and you don't feel like you're beautiful, something else is wrong. Something deeper, something more meaningful, much more precious to the Lord. Okay, and again, you're talking to a guy who's taking the shape of his father, and when you see my dad, you'll understand that. And I'll have a huge laugh. And you'll remember that I said that from up here, okay? And then to a godly man second. I remember a quote one time that said um, that a man, a man should love a woman so much that he would chase down the Lord just to find her. Like he would follow her straight to Jesus just to get to her. You know what I mean? I'm paraphrasing that, I'm sure, but that should be the idea. If you want this guy to love Jesus a whole lot more than he loves you, Hear my words, okay? I love Jesus more than I love my wife, okay? And she better love him more than she loves me, all right? And so when you're, when you're out there looking, your choice in a mate is going to be important. With your adornment, what kind of Jesus do you preach? With the way you adorn yourself, what kind of Jesus do you preach? Because there are certain things that always remain the same. Christ's love for you, okay? The fact that he will come through and, and be with you, that he is with you, that he lives inside of you, they're all constant. It doesn't matter what happens in your life. On a mountaintop, Jesus is still king, and he is still Lord. In a valley, still Lord, still king. Bring it through a tough time, still faithful. It doesn't change. He is unwavering, which is why you cling to him. He doesn't go up or down or side to side. He doesn't get weak and then strong. He is who he is. And he showed who he was. So you cling to him in those tough circumstances. You cling to him. Submission is to a created order. I want to say it like that. God instituted the leadership. You don't vote for people and they wind up in office, and they make decisions that affect you, and you don't like them, you know, and, and, and you react, but you still submit to the authority that God instituted. So it's a created order, therefore your submission is to that. And that's why Jesus, that's why Peter says, to this you were called. To this you were called. So in verse 7, he says to husbands, you husbands in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. I, th I think in my other Bible, the NIV, Mike was teaching on it. Um, it's according to knowledge, okay? So you're going to be considerate 
according to the knowledge that you have of your wife. You know, what does she, what does she need? What does she require? Now, I do, I do put in quite a few hours. I, I, at, this, at this stage of the game, I have to leave pretty early because I work far from home now, um, about an hour away, 40 if the wheels don't touch the pavement, but let's not go there. Um, and that just happened from time to time. <laughs> um, but, uh, but I say that because um, I come home, and I've worked that long, that long day, when I walk in the house, and I usually prepare myself for it. When I walk in the house, I don't expect to walk in the house and grab that, that cold glass of tea and then that shower and then get around to, to being a father. I'm expecting it at the door, and many times I get it right at the door. I remember just the other day I walked in the house. I was still covered with, you know, sweat and concrete and everything else that was – I was wanting a hot shower. So a hot shower, a nice, nice cold glass of tea. Uh, but I walked in, spake your son. Okay. All right, so <laughs> – let me go figure this out real quick. <laughs> Let's get to the bottom of this, you know what I mean? So anybody who's about to get married, it's going to get real, real quick. You know what I mean? So <laughs> you better be, uh, better be ready for it, you know what I mean? But Sarah is so great with those boys, but I, I, I got to give it to her. She has a harder job, for sure. <laughs> she really does. Her bosses are hard on her. Um, <laughs> but what kind of Jesus do you preach? Um, that's, the, that's the operating question for sure. But men... Right here, show her honor as a fellow heir, a co-heir. I think the NIV just simply says uh, as an heir. I'm not sure if it throws in that qualifier as co-heir or something. Uh, NSB, uh, NSB throws it in there where it says, co- it says fellow heir. All right, so an heir with you. She has just as much right as you do when it comes to the kingdom of God and all of its blessings and all of its um, you know, spoils of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. That's interesting because in verse 7, husbands, you better do this or your prayers will be hindered. That will happen. I could make the case earlier on. It's the same way with the wives. Why is if you don't, if you don't, your prayers are going to be hindered. I could go through it and go, well, you're disobedient to your husband. Therefore, the authority that God set in and therefore you're disobedient with the Lord, I could make that case. I don't have to make the case in verse 7. It's made for me. Right there it is. From Peter, actually from the Holy Spirit through Peter, right? From God the Father. Husbands, if you don't treat your wives like this, your prayers will be hindered. Do you want to get a direct connect to the Lord? Do you want Him to hear your prayers and you want them to be answered? You need to be in tune with His heart and with His heart for your wife. And you better fix that problem real quick. It's the only place in there that it says that. He's not even going to let you try to make the case. I'll make the case for you. It's like what I tell Micah. Son, if you do this, I'm going to spank you. Plain and simple. And so husbands are really given a challenge right in there. And I think about that sometimes because, again, I can be, I can be harsh. I can be sarcastic. The Lord's been working on that you know, with me, and I feel like he'll be working on that with me for a long time, you know, because I can be really sarcastic, especially when I get upset. Anybody that knows me knows what I'm talking about. I can be really, I can be hangry and be full at the same time. Like, I, you know what I'm saying? Like, I can just, I, I have a way of just doing that. But once I get frustrated about something and that filter drops, <laughs> yeah, that's not okay. So you have to live sacrificially and remember to that you were called. But here's the tricky thing about it, right? You're called to submit wives. Husbands, you're called to be considered according to the knowledge that you have of your wife. But it's hard. So you always say, okay, I agree with you. I see what the scripture says. I get it. All right? I get it. I have a glove here. I've seen these analogies before, but they're, they're really cool. This glove was made for something. It was designed to be part of work. I actually use this glove because I don't own a, a weed whacker around my house. But the weeds don't care. They don't own a weed whacker. They'll just continue growing right on up. And so they get to a place where until I can get around to actually purchasing one, I go with that glove and I pull in my hand around my entire backyard. I'll just pull them out my hand. So that's what I use that glove for. But it's, it's got a purpose. It goes, you know, it's supposed to do work, right? It's supposed to, to do what it's going to do. So I say, okay. I say, all right, glove, do work.
being disobedient right now. Not submitting to me, but the love's not going to do any work. I know what that needs. You know, when we get in one of those hard times, we're having a hard time submit, it needs encouragement. Come on, glove. Do work. You were called to this. You can do it. Come on, glove. You got it. I know you can do it. Still nothing. Ah, it needs fellowship. <laughs> Other gloves that have been through the same thing. Come on, glove. You can do it in the fellowship. Nope. Nope, not until, not until something gets inside of it and fills every part of what this glove is. See, now the glove can do work. Now I can get in there and pull those weeds and I can pick up whatever I need to and that glove can do what it needs to do. It is now filled with something. What do you suppose you need to be filled with? Yep, you're having that hard time submitting you're having that hard time honoring your wives you're having that hard time honoring that boss through all those circumstances you're having that hard time you need to be filled with the holy spirit with christ himself i was talking to sarah about this passage and she brought up something that was really good husbands honor your wives show them respect listen to them she had an insight into the scripture and we looked at that word gentle and it's actually only used four times in the New Testament, twice referring to Jesus, once of those, uh, a reference to an Old Testament passage, Isaiah, was it, babe? I think it was Isaiah, where it says, see your king comes gentle riding on a, on a donkey. And then again in Matthew, where he says, uh, take upon my yoke, release your yoke, take on my yoke, for I am gentle, says Jesus. Hear Jesus is, again, the very thing that you need. It's Jesus, and it's his gentleness, his meekness. That word actually translates into, into meek. Your meekness in the, in the, in the situation, as you, as you grab onto Christ and let him fill you. See, the glove only does work through my efforts, through my efforts putting my hand into it. You're going to only succeed in this area through Christ, through his efforts, being the channel, you, you just got to be the glove. And you got to be willing. Imagine if that glove gave me a hard time trying to put my hand into it. You know, imagine if it really did. It can't. It's an inanimate object, but you can. You can give a hard time to the Lord, but it's through his efforts because you can't do it. It's why you struggle and why you will continue to struggle. And while I'll have a hard time when my boss is being hard on me. I'm telling you right now, you need to see Jesus for who he is. Truly, you're everything. So submission is hard. Treating your wives with honor is hard because you have to be sacrificial. But remember, how did Jesus do it? If you look back, um, it says that Jesus entrusted himself in uh, chapter 2. My version, NASB, in verse 23, while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. That's how Jesus was, was able to do it when he was on earth. When he divested himself of that glory, still fully God. We don't, we don't really understand, but he's still fully God. But he entrusted himself to his father. And that's why when he was in the garden and he had that real moment where he said, it, if it be, take the cup from me, but your will, not my own. He kept entrusting himself. I know there's a plan, and I know, you know, but he had this man moment in the garden. Like, you have men and women moments throughout the day and throughout the year, but you got to keep entrusting yourself. Keep entrusting yourself to Christ, because that's how you're going to overcome. Stephen, you got that for me? 
is perfect. Now I'm five foot eleven, depending on the shoes I wear. Okay. This ladder is probably what, Mike, an eight footer? Eight foot eight frame ladder. Let's just say that this represents, I can't even reach it standing here. Shape of my father. Okay? I can't even reach it standing here. But let's say the top of that ladder, okay? And by the way, the top of the ladder is not a rung, if you read the instructions on it, the labels. This is the highest rung you're going to get right here. Let's say the top of that ladder represents where you want to be. The top of that ladder represents perfection in your submission. It represents perfection in you honoring your wife. And you think to yourself, I can't. There's just no way. I mean, it's, it's all the way up there. I fell out of a tree when I was like 12 years old and broke my arm. I don't climb trees anymore. I let other people climb trees. You know what I mean? But I don't climb trees anymore. So, but it's all the way up there. So how am I supposed to get up there? See, this is the problem for most of us. We don't know where to start. We don't know how to make the first step in trusting in Christ. Because after this, you're off the ground floor. And you're moving towards that. And then you trust Jesus. And you realize he comes through for you. And you keep going. And before you know it, you're halfway there. But it all starts with entrusting Jesus. I asked the question, what Jesus do you preach? Maybe I should ask the question, what Jesus do you know? Maybe that's the more important question. The Jesus I know? I don't have to be afraid. I can entrust myself to him all day long. You hop into a car to go home tonight, today, you trust that car to get you there. You trust that every other driver is going to be alert and awake. Cole and I understand that more than anybody. Traveling to and from work, I'm on the way at 4 o'clock in the morning, heading to work. Cole's coming home a few hours after that. And you're trusting that that person is alert in the car, Okay? The Jesus I know, and I get to know more and more every day, the Jesus I pray for you, that you know more and more every day, is the Jesus that you can depend on in all circumstances. The Jesus that will fill you with his spirit, who lives inside of you to do all of these things. That's the Jesus that you can depend on every single day, and he will not falter. You might, and likely will, but he won't. So you go home, I can't submit. That's okay. Because Christ can. And he did. And he will for you if you let him in. See, he's not some far and beyond. He's not some fable, some guy we read about, some guy from the past who did great things. And Jesus did what Jesus does, and we can't be Jesus. Who says? Who says? He lives inside of you. You are Christ to your neighbor. You are Christ to your boss. And if you would open yourself up and let go of all of those things and let him come in, he will. I'm not saying it's going to be an easy road. It hasn't been for me and not for a lot of people that I know in this room. It has not been an easy go, but it has been a stable one because Christ has always been there. So when it's bad, I fall on him and he cares for me and he cries with me and he and he gets through with me. And when things are great, he rejoices with me. And he claps his hands and he cheers me on. And he says, good job, you know, being faithful. Good job depending on me and realizing that you're weak. The devil calls you a sinner because a sinner you are. But you're not dead and you don't owe a debt. That's where he's wrong. He will get you and making you believe that you owe this debt. You don't owe a debt that debt has been paid and that's why he has to come to you to demand it there's no way that god lets you into his kingdom there's no way you're going to be able to submit you might as well just give it up now but christ did it he set the stage he gave the example and still works with you through it all look at your relationship in that authority structure as a platform Look at it as a platform. All Daniel did was love Christ. All he did was love the Lord. He prayed, got into trouble, got thrown into a lion's den. That's all he did. It was a platform for him. 
Same thing for Joseph. That's all he did was love the Lord. That's all you have to do is love Jesus. It's love him and follow him and realize that you'll be up the, lungs of that, the rungs of that ladder in, in no time at all. And you'll be at the top and suddenly it's, it's so much more simple if you allow it to be. But we get in the way. You can't. It's the beginning. Not the end. You're not supposed to say, I can't stop. You can't. Christ can. And you move on. You continue going forth. So I encourage you, be submissive to Christ because he enables you to do it. And whatever, whatever situation you're in, and I've had some tough bosses in my, in my life. I've had some people that were tough on me, you know. Um, but I will tell you this, at the end of the day, it's not even about them. They're in, they're not, it's not about them. It's about honoring Christ and letting him be who he is to you, an actual person a helper, somebody who will fill you to do the, the job that you need to do. So when you look at it, and, you, and, and, and I want you to answer that question for you, what Christ do you know? I know the Christ that filled these pages. I know the Christ that filled my life. And a lot of times I don't know the answers, but that's okay, because the Christ I know has the answers. And he will work them through with me as is his plan. So what Christ do you know? Father, I ask for everybody in this room, whatever that first step is, God, and I know it's entrusting in Jesus. I know it's believing in the person of Jesus. And I ask, God, for each of them that they would come to that place where they trust you and they know you. And they would entrust themselves to you and lay themselves down, God. They would take the first step and continue taking steps towards you and towards what you have for them. Pray, Father, for those tough circumstances that people are in, that they would find you in them. They would raise their heads, and they would see you right there, leading them through. I ask, God, that you would help them. I pray, Father, that as you encourage them and as you give them uh, the strength to do the work, God, that they would go forth and they would do the work. That it would be by your efforts, through their faith, in you, Jesus. This is a very, very difficult thing. We have to give ourselves up under this authority. But God, you gave yourself up. You surrendered your life that we would have access to the Father and access to heaven. That we would have life and, and life abundantly. And we follow in your footsteps every single day. In Jesus' name, amen.